0: Of Christ, and so we're just glad that you're here. Also, want to remind you um, to upload your selfies, okay, of you studying the the story. Um, That would be awesome because at the end of each month, um, we have been selecting a winner from those selfies and giving a a gift card to one of the local restaurants here in town. Um, And at the end of the story in November. We're going to take all of the people who uploaded selfies, studying the story with their families, and we're going to select one for an overnight stay at the Kalahari Resort. Come on, slip and slide, right? (laughs) And have a great time as a family over the winter. It'd be an awesome thing. But during this series, we've been talking about um, just our story. We've been talking about God's story, we've been talking about our story together, and we've been talking about my story. Individually, and every single one of us have a story um, of God's redemptive work. And so each week we've tried to do our best to have someone in our congregation give their story. And this week we have someone that's coming, Kay Zwankowski. Where are you? Come on up. Let's give her a hand as she comes. Now, last week. Remember that Josh Zonkowski was uh, the one who gave the testimony on my story. Did you need some help? No? Okay. Um, And this week we get a chance to hear from Kay. Okay? Let me grab this mic for you, Kay. Is this on? No? All right. Let me turn it off and then I'll turn it back on and we will be good. There we go. You can set your stuff there if you need to.
1: So, um, hopefully I don't cry. Um, But last week you heard my husband Josh's testimony. While our stories have blended and become one, we have very different beginnings. I didn't grow up going to church. At best, my family is what I would call convenient Christians. I never knew what having a real relationship with God was like, or how to pray. I grew up with two older sisters, one of whom has a disability, and the other was the good one. And a younger brother who being the baby and the only boy i felt like got everything he wanted my family was happy my parents had what i thought was a strong marriage our family is full of hugs laughter and i love yous when i was 12 my sister and i learned that my father was being unfaithful to my mom being a daddy's girl this devastated me even more so since our mom didn't know i wouldn't find out for two more years and then wouldn't divorce for another two years after that. We would stay up in our shared bedroom, discussing it and whether or not we should tell her. I battled with depression, feeling unheard by my parents, betrayed, and the trust of my father, whom I adored, was gone. Constantly comparing myself to my sister. At the age of 14, I tried to commit suicide. From there on, I was rebellious lost, seeking love, and the validation from guys, which would lead me down a very bad path, Mm. but ultimately to God. Because of this path, I ended up getting pregnant at the age of 18 with my son, Braden. His father and I were not in a relationship. I struggled with the idea of adoption because I knew this life growing inside me deserved so much more than I could give him. But I also couldn't imagine having a child and not telling him I love him a million times a day or being able to kiss him goodnight, <laughs> I made the decision to keep him, and ultimately, he started me on the path—my my, path—finding God. I had just started dating someone when I, shortly before I found out I was pregnant, this guy was a recovering addict and had been sober for a couple of years when I met him. He stepped in and became a father figure to Brayden before things started going downhill with lies, accusations of infidelity and generally not knowing how to communicate. At this point, I was working in a position where there was a very strong party culture, and I started drinking and going out more while Braden was at my mom's to get away from a negative relationship and home environment. We were together for four years before I discovered he had relapsed. This caused me to leave the relationship and once again look for solace in something physical versus finding my faith. I met a new guy through mutual acquaintances, but he was not who I thought he was. On December eighth, two 2010, I was drugged and sexually assaulted by this person who I thought I could trust. Mm -hmm. This is what finally made me hit rock bottom. Braden and I moved out of our home where this had happened and moved in with my mom and my stepdad. I vividly remember sitting in the shower after being in the ER, huddled up and crying in despair and desperation knowing this wasn't the life I wanted to keep living. I once again fought through depression, but also anxiety and acute PTSD. I eventually went to therapy and started working through a lot of anger, feelings of abandonment, and realizing what I really wanted was someone I could trust completely, put my faith in, and know I wouldn't be let down. Little did I know that this relationship was always available to me through the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. In early 2012, a friend of Braden's from school invited him to their church. He went a couple times to Sunday school and I decided to go with him. Sitting in that pew the first day, listening to the pastor preach, I prayed. I prayed like I never had before because I really hadn't. I prayed that God would stop this cycle of looking for physical completion to walk a path in life where I wouldn't doubt and constantly be hurt. I prayed for God to come into my heart and make me whole. Mm -hmm. This was the first time I ever really thought I didn't need another physical person to complete me. I did ask, however, if he sent someone to me that he would not love just, would not love just me but and like his own, that he would be strong, faithful, kind, smart, and not hurt me. From this point on, my life started down a new path, a path with hope. I continued to go to church and be encouraged by God and those around me. I knew I didn't need anything or anyone but this newfound relationship with God. I struggled with doubt and turning control over to him, and sometimes I still do, and I continue to push back when things don't happen in my time. Then I remember that it's not about my time, but his. Everything I had been through was preparing me for more. Then in November 2012, I get a message on a dating app saying, Hey, want a text? After everything that had happened to me, to say the least, I was extremely jaded and mistrusting, but something felt different, so I replied yes and gave a salty old veteran with a big nose and beautiful blue eyes my number. (laughs) When we met, we were both coming from very low points in our life. There were times when we were both distant and cold. One of us would start pushing away, and the other would hold on a little tighter. We both knew if this was going to go anywhere, it would have to be with trust and faith, not just in each other, but in God, that this is where we belonged. In April 2013, I applied for a job in Middleton. The day I accepted the job, I texted Josh and told him I would have to move to Madison because I couldn't do a commute of over an hour to work every day. He said, okay, well, I'll move with you. Well, that's not what I had planned, but okay, God, I'm doing this whole putting my trust in you thing, so let's see what happens. We moved to Madison in July of 2013, and in September is when I attended MBC for the first time. I came here because Josh's mom had a childhood friend whom I had never met or even knew what she looked like came here. So again, I said, well, if I'm going to say I'm trusting God, I need to actually do it. (laughs) Brayden and I came while Josh stayed home, and the first people I met were Claudio and Cheryl Diaz, who helped introduce me to Patrice and Pat Smith. Patrice is Josh's mom's friend. They became my family on Sundays. We sat with them. Pat prayed with me for the Lord to move Josh to come back to church to help me keep growing in God and my faith. One of the first songs I heard was Cornerstone by Hillsong United. The lyrics, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. I wake up with that song stuck in my head in the middle of the night. In the morning, in the shower, go to bed with those lyrics cycling over and over in my head. I knew then I would turn my life over to God completely. That was when I fully accepted Christ into my heart with tears streaming down my face, knowing the unconditional love and wholeness I had been looking for since I was young. When it came to Josh and I getting engaged and getting married, we knew without hesitation we would build our marriage on the word of Christ, like the house built on the rock in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. When storms have come, our foundation has not crumbled. I don't say this to imply we or our marriage is perfect. That is not the case. I say it because we have both experienced how easily your house can be destroyed when you build it on the sand. In 2015, I married the man I know God created for me. And besides the birth of Brayden, it was the happiest day of my life. Brayden has an amazing father in Josh, and I know this was God's plan from the beginning. I had to go through pain and struggle to know the paradise he has waiting for us. We still struggle with the seeds the enemy tries to plant in our hearts and minds, but Pastor Glenn Glenn once said to live your life as if there's no such thing as a secret, so we communicate about our our doubts and fears. I still sometimes feel like I'm waiting for the bottom to fall out of my life and go crashing back to the life I led previously— but what we don't let the enemy control, he can't use against us.
0: Come on. <laughs> Give <me a> hug. <laughs> Amen. Wow. Oh, well, we could pray and just go home right now, right? Come on. What a great story. You know, it's awesome to hear the, some of the backdrop of each person. Um, and some of the things that they've been through, we walk around here and you know, we look at each other's face and we see, you know, just the surface stuff. And it looks like everything was perfect and, every, you know, everything was great. And, of course, we have our issues personally that we grew up with and still try to snag us once in a while and hold us back. And then um, we think everyone else is just fine. And they, they, they didn't deal with that. And, you know, I'm the only one. How many of you ever heard I'm the only one from the enemy? Sure. And so it's great to hear, um, not great to hear the pain, but great to hear the redemption of our our Lord through that pain and how he intervened in, in Kay's life and Josh's life. And last week I said Josh gave his story and talked about his life and the military and the PTSD and all the things he's been through. And both of them love the Lord. He's the administrative assistant at Metro Believers Church now. And isn't that wonderful? Isn't it a redemptive story? (laughs) Hallelujah. So, last week, we talked a little bit about um, the enemy and exposing some of his tactics. And I want to continue on that this week. Now, the ushers are going to come and pass out um, one of our outlines, Uh, it's the, the notes. It's some of the scriptures that I'll share today. I said some of them because we didn't have enough room to get them all in there today. Um, So, but last week I shared a message that I believe that every single person, even if you're listening uh, online um, um, today and you call Metro Believers Church home, needs to listen to. I just, uh, I think it's important. I think it's important for us to all be on the same page. It was a message about exposing. Everyone say exposing exposing the devil and helping each of us realize that both individually and corporately, we are in a spiritual battle. And if you don't know that, and if you think that's not happening, you're setting yourself up for a real heartache and, and really disaster in your life. If you, you know, it, one of the things that the enemy wants you to believe is he doesn't exist. And if you believe he doesn't exist, then you don't, you don't fight. You don't, you don't stand against him. You just, you know, let him have his way in your life and you don't do anything about it. And so that's one of the tactics and tools of the enemy is to get you to believe that he doesn't exist and that you're not in a spiritual battle, but you really, really are. And, and I've watched over the last 38 years in ministries 38 years in ministry, my wife and I, Um, people, families, homes, marriages, relationships, churches, be destroyed because they didn't realize that they were in a battle and that they needed to do something about this battle, and they needed to stand their ground and do what the Bible has commanded us to do, and uh, given us the insight what we should do when we're in a battle. I've seen, I've seen relationships become strained and dysfunctional uh, over simple mo- misunderstandings and unrealistic expectations based on assumptions. How many of you know the enemy likes to sow seeds of assumption? We assume we know the truth. You know, we assume we, assume we know what you're thinking, right? <laughs> and in marriages, that happens all the time. We assume that, that I, you know, I know what Vicky meant, and she meant to hurt me, you know, and we assume these things, and we assume in relationships certain things, and, and we have certain expectations, and, and before you know it, the enemy sets us up emotionally to have these wounds that go deep into our heart that he wants to use to destroy our life and relationships and our marriages and our homes. Here's what you need to understand. Assumptions are relationship killers, Assumptions are relationship killers, but healthy communication brings life and clarity. And so always focus on, on healthy, life-giving communication, whether it's in marriage, families, work, church, relationship, whatever that might look like. As I mentioned last week, that, that not only is families and uh, relationships being destroyed, but churches all over the city. Have been under serious attack. Uh, we've we've experienced some of that personally in our own personal lives and in the church, and it's it's the enemy trying to destroy relationships. See, the enemy doesn't like what's happening here in the city. The enemy doesn't like the ground that we've taken over the last 16 years in working with other churches and developing relationships and building building a significant team of churches that care about one another and want to see the the city come to know the Lord. People's lives changed and transformed. Listen, uh, we need to do whatever we need to do to to beat the devil. He doesn't like what we're doing. Come on. And we're going to beat him, right? We're going to take authority over him. Why? Listen, the enemy likes to sow seeds of discord, and he likes to sow seeds of discouragement and intimidation and all sorts of different things. His strategy is to divide and conquer, building on what I talked about last week. His, his strategy is to divide and conquer. And he wants to destroy you. He wants you to you and I to get to believe the lie that, that you are my problem and I am your problem. And how many of you know that's not true? That, that you are not my problem and I'm not your problem. I can't tell you how that just blessed Vicki and I for you guys just to say, we appreciate you not that, that, not that I want that pat on the back and all that kind of stuff, but it just it ministers life when you do stuff like that. We appreciate you, we love this church, we care about this church we, we want to see it go forward and, and make a difference and make an impact and, and fulfill its calling and its destiny amen and so we appreciate one another when you appreciate one another and you work together and love one another, the enemy doesn't have that foothold to destroy. Come on, somebody say amen. 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 And so, I shared this last week, but I'll share it again, this verse, because you need to know this. A verse in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might or in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Check this out. Check this little image out. Pop that up there, would you? There we go. Um, the days are evil. Dress appropriately. I saw this on online the other day, and I just thought it, it's such a good reminder to make sure that we are dressed appropriately. You can't go out into battle without the proper application in clothing, right? And we need to be dressed appropriately. We need to have the, the full armor of God in place. And you can study that text out further and see the full armor of God so that you can see that God wants us to put on the armor of God. And He wants us to wear that throughout the day because the enemy doesn't fight fair. The enemy wants to throw seeds into your mind to get you to operate on them and get you to to cave and get you to believe lies that destroy and so it says, finally, be, be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Notice, the devil has some schemes. The devil wants to destroy. He wants to plant little traps and schemes and devices in our lives that cause us to be tripped up. But God doesn't want us to be ignorant of the devil's devices. Come on. Amen? And then it, then it goes on to sort of put things you know, out there so we understand what really is going on. For our struggle or battle, our spiritual battle is not, everyone say not, against flesh and blood. You're not my problem. I'm not your problem. Amen? We need to, we need to do what God's called us to do and realize that we're not each other's problem. Does things happen? Sure. The things said, misunderstandings occur. Things get hurt. People get disappointed. Yeah, but but you work against it and you and you deal with the source. He, hello, because if, if you don't deal with the source or deal with the root, you'll never deal with the fruit. And so you deal with the source of the conflict. See, when Vicky and I get into a squabble, uh, we had one, you know, probably 50 years ago, right? Didn't we have a squabble? <laughs> We haven't had one since, yeah? But when we get in a squabble, the enemy wants to get us to, you know, just fight each other. Hello. But in reality, we need to fight the one that's creating that stress and that misunderstanding and that hurt and disappointment. We need to come against him and use the weapons of our warfare, and we need to work together as a, as a team amen? Everyone say team. As a team that works together and we become fighting partners, not partners that fight. See, oftentimes the enemy wants us to, to take the, the, the weapons of our warfare, you know, and cause us to use it against each other. You know, the the whole armor of God, the sword of, you, want, you know, just start cutting each other up. And no, we want to cut him up, amen? amen. <laughs> For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, rulers, spiritual wickedness in high places. We're in a war. Notice the terminology. We're in a war. He wants to he wants to create problems and misunderstandings to destroy our relationships. You have to learn how to fight. Back in the day when I was a bouncer, before I became a bouncer, I had to learn how to fight. Took karate lessons and, you know, decided to just get crazy and learn how to fight. You know, and uh, in, uh, when when things would present themselves, I could take care of myself, and I could I could deal with it. I could I could deal with the threat. The same thing is is true in the spiritual. We need to learn how to fight. Amen. We need need to learn how not to lie down and let the enemy have his way in our lives and our relationships in our church. Listen to this verse in in Second Corinthians, chapter. 10, verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, in other words, we walk around in this body, okay, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war, everyone say war. War. Notice the terminology here. We don't war according to the flesh. Notice that. We don't, you know, we don't have these fleshly wars. Vicki and I don't have these fleshly wars. When we start to have a battle, we start to realize who the source of that is. See? And so we, though we live in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, notice you got war, you got weapons, you got warfare. Amen? You got war, you got weapons, you got warfare. This is the Bible. You need to understand that. The enemy doesn't want you to believe this. He wants you to think it's everyone else's problem. And they're just out to get you and all that kind of stuff. Now, we're in a war. We need to learn how to fight. So the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. In other words, they're not of the flesh. All right? And so if you try to use words to win the war with your, with your spouse, or with your friendships, and you try to use those words to you know cut and hurt and destroy, it's going to destroy your marriage. It's going to destroy your relationships. The weapons of our warfare are not car- carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of what? Strongholds. strongholds. Pulling down of strongholds. God wants to break strongholds. Some of you in your homes have had some strongholds. In your relationships, you've had some strongholds. The enemy has set some things up that are strongholds and and they're in your mind and your thought life and and you can't seem to get over it you can't seem to get around it and the, it's a stronghold and and this says that that God's weapons are not of the flesh they're not carnal but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations or arguments well, in translation it says, imaginations or thoughts, notice, imaginations or arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into what? Come on, every thought into what? Captivity and making it obedient to Christ. Your thought life will either make you or break you. Did you hear me? If you allow the enemy to just have his way in your thought life, and you don't bring every thought in ca- into captivity and make it obedient to Christ, what does that mean? It, me- it means that you make it align itself with the Word. The Word of God is the, the strainer or the cheesecloth, as it were, for things that we allow into our life, into our thought life. I, c- I can't tell you how many times the enemy has planted thoughts. Like Matt was talking about, um, one of his pastor friends um, talking about just these, these crazy thoughts of fear that come out of nowhere. I call them terrorist devils, terrorist thoughts, where the enemy just out of nowhere, it's not like you've been feeding on that or, or thinking about it. Out of nowhere, a thought will pop into your mind and all of a sudden you'll start to think about it more and more and more. And before you know it, you're in fear, like he was talking about. Or you act on it against someone, or you start to get mean and mad and impatient and all those kinds of things. Why? Because of our thought life, we haven't brought every thought into captivity and made it obedient to Christ. It's time for us to set up a great security system in our mind. You know how you go into the airport and they make you about strip, you know? Just to make sure. (laughs) Take off your belt, take off your shoes, take, you know, next thing is take off your shirt, you know. Uh, Why? Because they're they're serious about letting something slip through and 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 destroying, you know, blowing up a plane or something. We our some of our lives are getting blown up because we've let thoughts, imaginations slip into our mind from the enemy and they seem so real. And God's saying, you know what? The weapons of your warfare are not carnal. They're not of the flesh, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Another verse that will help you understand the strategies and the tactics of the enemy is found in 1 Peter chapter 5. Is that in your notes? Write these verses down. I don't know how much I've got in your notes because I ran out of room, so write the verses down if if these aren't in your notes. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, be sober, don't be intoxicated, don't be drunk, but be sober, be vigilant, be on guard, in other words, be be diligent, don't be lazy. It says, be be sober, be vigilant, because you're what? What? Your adversary, the devil, notice, it's calling him out. Your adversary, the devil, walks around as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Or we could say destroy. The enemy wants to do his best to walk around your life, to walk around your home, to walk around your relationships, your marriage, and your family to walk around your finances, your health, seeking someone to devour or destroy. Notice what the Bible says we should do to him. Next verse. Resist him. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith. The answer to fear is faith. Did you hear me? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Amen? Matt was talking about the fear. Well, the the response to that is faith, to believe, to be certain of. That's what faith is, to be certain of, to be convinced of. See? You're not not wishy-washy or double-minded, but you're convinced of God's Word, and you choose to stand on God's Word. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. In other words, we're all going through stuff, and we're going to resist him. Amen? How many of you are going to resist the enemy? Realize that you're in a battle. It says resist him. Don't cooperate with him. Don't give in. Don't cooperate with the enemy. Resist him, the Bible says. Last week, I I shared with you there are two types of warfare. Why? Because we're in a battle. And in a battle, you have warfare. You have fights. You have battles. And I shared with you there's two types of warfare that a lot of people understand the first one, which is spiritual warfare, but they don't understand the second one, which is lifestyle warfare. And so, under spiritual warfare, we have some weapons. And so today, in the few minutes I have left, I'm going to help you become armed and dangerous to the enemy. Armed and dangerous. I want to teach you how to use your weapons. Some of you say, well, what does this have to do with the hour of darkness? (laughs) Everything. This this, This goes right along with chapter 26 in the hour of darkness. Why? Because the disciples were in sort of a chaotic place because Jesus was being crucified. Everything they had worked for was lost. And they were running and hiding and denying him and the relationships were straight. It's very similar to what we're dealing with in our own personal lives as well as a church. And we'll get to that next week. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I'm not in a hurry as you can see. Because I want to deal with the enemy, and I want to lay the groundwork so that all of us can deal with him on a personal level, amen? Amen. So we can know that we're in a battle, know when things happen, how to deal with them. So when it comes to spiritual warfare, let's just start there. Let's use our spiritual weapons. The first one I'm going to give you today is the Word of God. If you have your outlines, you can fill in the blanky things, okay? Check this out. The Bible says in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the Word of God, now this is the Bible again, for the Word of God is alive and powerful. We could just stop there, right? Okay? The Word of God is alive and powerful. This is alive, folks. It's not some just, just some fiction. There's, there's life in, in here. The Holy Spirit has breathed on this, and it's alive, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between the joints and the marrow, and it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes the enemy's tactics and schemes. The Word, the Word of God, this is your... This is your number one weapon. And the enemy wants you to just sort of take it casually and never really know the word. See, you, you can't use a weapon you don't know about. And this is your primary weapon as a believer. Matter of fact, it was Jesus' primary weapon. <laughs> And, and, and you will see that in just a minute. It was his primary weapon that he used to defeat the devil in the wilderness. See? And so when you don't know the Word of God, he has the upper hand, and you seem to get beat up a lot. You need to learn how to use the Word of God. You need to learn how to speak God's Word. You need to learn how to pray the Word. You want powerful prayer lives? Learn to pray the Word. Just pray it. Just as you're reading it, start to pray it and start to decree it and start to declare it into existence. It's the Word of God. You need to learn how to fight. When I was in karate and working towards various belts, I needed to learn how to be better at certain things in order to, you know, achieve those goals. And I need to learn how to fight better and defend myself better. And that's exactly what God wants you and I to do as His kids. Yeah. Why? We have an adversary, the devil, Amen. who walks around as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour or destroy. So we have weapons. Say weapon number one is the Word. Know, the word. Weapon number two is the name of Jesus. Uh huh. Weapon number two, these are, this is not an exhaustive list that I'm giving you today. This is simply a starting point. You'll see, as you start to study the Scripture, you'll see that there's so many weapons that God's given us. And did you know that there are different weapons for different situations? <laughs> That's a whole other story. That sounds like a series, right? All right, so weapon number two is the name of Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 13, and whatever you ask in my name, everyone say my name, name. say "His his name, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Listen, Jesus' name is not simply the way we end our prayer, Jesus' name is the power within our prayer. And you need to learn how to use his name with authority. Amen? You say, well, I don't know if I can do that. I think that's sacrilegious. Oh, listen. Jesus said, all power and authority has been given unto me. You go. We have power and an attorney, power of attorney to use his name to defeat the power of the enemy. Amen? That's our weapon. In the name of Jesus. Learn how to take authority over the enemy in the name of Jesus, not in your name, not in your own strength and power, but in the name of Jesus. Terminate His assignments on your life and your relationships in the name of Jesus. You want to talk about breaking strongholds? Learn to use the name and have faith in the name. Did you hear me? Faith in the name. Not just say, cross my fingers, hope to die. You know, maybe this will work. This is kind of like an ab- abracadabra thing, you know. No, have faith in the name. And when you speak His name, things change. Things happen. Amen? Matthew 18, 18 says, Assuredly, I say unto you, whatever you bind on earth, this is probably not in your notes, write it down. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Check this out. You and I have authority to break the power of the enemy and to stand against him. Number three, weapon number three is the blood of Jesus that was shed for you and I. The blood of Jesus that was shed for you and I. Revelation 12, says, and they over, overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, just like Kay gave, and they loved not their life even unto death. The blood of the lamb, that's how we overcome him. <laughs> Amen? No, the blood of the lamb has power. In the Old Testament, they took the lamb and they put it on their doorpost and the death angel passed by. In other words, the enemy couldn't touch this. Kind of like MC Hammer, can't touch this. Come on. (laughs) Learn to use the blood of Jesus and know the power in the blood. Fourth weapon he's given us is praise and worship. Did you know that while we were worshiping today and praising today, it was warfare? Come on. That's warfare. When you worship and you praise, and you I, I do this in our living room, I just just put my hands up and put some great music on and just worship Him. Years ago, see, we, we live in several dimensions, but we only understand for the most part one, the here and now. There's a spiritual dimension that you can't see with the physical eye. There's a spiritual dimension that's going on at this very moment behind the scenes in the heavenlies. How many of you have ever flown on a plane and looked at one of those chart maps of all the places that plane, you know, that, that airline flies, you know? Years ago, the Lord showed me that that's exactly what is happening behind the scenes in the spiritual dimension. And we need to pull back that veil, if you will, to see into the heavenlies. See, there are angels encamped around this place right now. If you could see into the spiritual realm, you would see the power of God here present and the angels of God the Holy Spirit, just, just here, right now, here, in your bedroom, in your living room, in your car, there's a spirit dimension that some sometimes we're not even aware of, and, and the enemy wants you not to be aware of it. He thinks, he wants you to be convinced that it's... That what I see is only the only reality." And that's not the case at all. There's a spiritual dimension that God wants us to know and understand, and when we worship and we praise, there's spiritual warfare going on. The Bible talks about babes and sucklings you know, worshiping and praising. In other words, infants. In other words, children. In other words, you know, new believers, if you will, even. Us as a body, worshiping. It goes on to say in, in Psalm 8:2, it makes your enemies silent, it stills the avenger. Yeah. When we worship and we praise, you're in, you're in the middle of a, a spiritual battle right now. Learn to worship and to declare, and to decree that God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be successfully against you? Uh Uh-uh. Learn it. Learn how to fight. You want your next belt? You want to move from a A white to a blue to a purple to a yellow to a black. You want to do that? You better. (laughs) Or you'll get your tail kicked by the enemy. We need to learn how to fight, right? So praise and worship is such a weapon. Some of you have never done that. You never just by yourself at home or in your car just start well, Don't shut your eyes and lift your hands in the car, okay? <laughs> Put in <him> park first. <laughs> and you just, you know, wherever you're at, try this. Try it. If you've never done this, just do it. Just lift your hands all by your lonesome. and Start to worship Him. Praise Him. From your heart. God will fight for you. Battles. We' be one. Amen. It's a weapon that God has given to us to use when the worship team stands up here and Melissa or Judah or Tim or any of the other ones, Nicole or you know um, Frankie or Dan, whatever, whoever's leading in the worship team, the instruments of praise and, and, and the symbols and all of the things that we use here, they're all, they're all weapons. Come on. They're weapons that go before the Father and stand against the enemy. So as we worship on a Sunday morning, don't don't get here 15 minutes late. Get here 15 minutes early. Come on. And come and be ready to do battle. I know this morning as I was worshiping the Lord that there were some battles that were won. I didn't win them, I didn't do anything, I just simply acknowledge the Lordship of Christ and His power and authority. <laughs> and He takes care of that, because our mind is focused on Him in adoration and worship and love, and before you know it, boom, the stronghold is broken, come on. <laughs> The next weapon, number five, is just simply prayer. Prayer. Matthew 21, 22 says this, whatever you ask for in prayer, if you believe, you will have it. Period. End of discussion. Prayer is powerful. That's why over the next year or two, we're going to develop a serious culture of prayer in this church. Why? Because we must have it. We must have it. We must learn how to pray effectively. We must learn how to engage the enemy effectively. Or we're just playing games and fooling ourselves. Going through the motions. Never really dealing with him in prayer. Amen? And this this just sort of, idea of a simple list is finishing up with the sixth weapon which is not again it's not exhaustive i could go on and on and on and talk about all the weapons and every aspect this is just to wet your whistle to get you hungry for more is this thing called the angels of god like i said a moment ago the angels of god <laughs> there's a weapon there and we don't we don't think about this we We don't think about the angels of God. In Hebrews, it tells us, chapter 1, verse 13, 14, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit here on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? In other words, he doesn't say that to them, but he says this, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. One other translation says, who are heirs of salvation. What does that mean? That's us. They're ministering spirits sent forth to minister to us. Learn to dispatch the angels of God to go forth and minister to those who are heirs of salvation. The angels of God working to defeat the strongholds of the enemy. Now, next week we're gonna talk about lifestyle warfare. <laughs> Are you guys up for this? Let's stand to our feet. It's gone gone a little long. Wished we could have about ten hours to sit here and just talk about the Bible, you know? And break down the word and walk it out together. That'd be awesome. This morning, I I sense in my heart that God has given you something because you need it right where you're at. It may be in a job situation. It may be you're a business owner and you're going through a difficult time. It may be that you're having a struggle at work with your bosses or whatever. It may be in your finances. It may be in your relationships. It may be in your marriage. There's some struggle, major struggles happening. And God's saying, you know what? Enough is enough. Enough is enough. Let's stand up and fight. You're in a war. What are you going to do about it? Are you just expecting God to just take care of it all? No, he said, "Here's, here's what you need. I've given you what you need. Now, take it and use it. All things that pertain unto life and godliness have been given to us. All things. Amen?